Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 258. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by AgDirect. So, cool thing about working with the guys at AgDirect is that you get to talk to the cool people over at CoBank. So, it's it's really an honor to have, have the guys that, like Tanner, come on, Tanner Imke. You know, he's been on here a lot, but but Tanner is, uh, he, he works for, uh, for CoBank. And explain a little bit what CoBank does, Tanner. Yeah, Casey. So CoBank is a uh, part of the farm credit system. Uh, we're a wholesale lender to the farm credit associations in the western half of the country, also up in the northeast. And then uh, we're also the bank for co-ops, is, uh, or was our original designation, but that's expanded a little bit now uh, over the years, or quite a bit. But uh, we, we cover all aspects of agriculture. We're the largest lender in agriculture in the U.S. Right on. And Tanner, you have how many people are in your group that focus on the various commodities that are associated with agriculture? We cover all the major commodities. Uh, we have Ken Zuckerberg. He covers uh, grain uh, and farm supply. Uh, we have uh, Brian Ernest. He covers uh, animal protein. I cover uh, dairy and specialty crops. Uh, we also have uh, other economists focusing on uh, infrastructure in the U.S. Jeff Johnson focuses on broadband. And Terry Vishmanoff focuses on uh, power, water, and energy. So we're a diverse group. We're a tight group. We we uh, we like to say that we punch above our weight. Just a handful of us. We uh, we're able to do a lot of work uh, for as much as we uh, we uh, bank in the U.S. Right on. So Tanner, your group is you're basically saddled with the the economics and trend forecasting, those kind of things, you're, you and your group for, for COVID, correct? Yeah, we're looking at uh, the, the opportunities and risks uh, mm-hmm. that are facing our customers. And by extension, what, what we're facing as a bank, um, you know, as a bank, we're concerned about credit risk and uh, the health and well-being of our customers. And so we try to put forth uh, views and opinions based on what we're seeing uh, in the marketplace and trends in the industry that uh, will be Im- impactful to our uh, customer base. Yep. And uh, when you have things like Ukraine going on, it, it affects all of us. Uh, yep. All of our sectors have been impacted. Yep. Well, good thing for you guys. There's not much going on in the world right now. So I'm sure you're just back <laughs> hanging out, not doing much right now. Yeah, we just have so much free time these days. <laughs> yeah, a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> so you brought, you brought the point that I want to hit on today is, is Ukraine. So we are... 
40 days ish into, into the Ukraine, uh, Russia situation. And, um, it hasn't, it's, it's escalated more than it, than it hasn't. Right. I mean, you've talked, you know, Russia's talked about pulling back troops and said other things. I don't know if they really pulled anyone back as much as they just repositioned what they had going on. Um, yeah. a lot of, uh, arms from around the world are coming into Ukraine so they can support Ukrainians as they fight the Russians. But, um, the biggest thing that that's weighing on people right now, and especially you see the reaction in the grain markets as you as you see what's going on across the commodity boards, um, there, there's a big fear that nothing is going to get planted in Ukraine on time. Um, and I've read estimates that of you know 25 percent is is kind of the number, but I have a hard time believing that just because of I can't believe if you didn't have seed to start with going into uh, the war. Uh, you probably don't have seed now. Diesel fuel's in short supply because they're using it for the war machine. And moreover, like you hit on before we started talking, is that people are, are putting down their their tools on the farm and picking up arms and going to fight fight the uh, fight the Russians. So there's a labor issue that you see there. So I guess as you are seeing all this unfold and take place, what are your thoughts about the overall? Um, kind of picture that we see moving into spring planning for, for Ukraine? Well, on the whole, it's hard to create a bearish situation uh, or a bearish view out of this situation for any commodities because there's going to be a ripple effect on feed, for instance, uh, and how that impacts uh, livestock and dairy. Uh, and there's, in my sector, especially crops, that's been disrupted uh, with exports into the Black Sea being impacted. And those uh, all those fresh fruits and vegetables having to find another home. But specifically to the, really the commodity in question here of uh, greatest importance is wheat. Uh, wheat uh, out of the Black Sea region feeds a lot of people around the world, especially in the Middle East, in North Africa. And uh, those are uh, politically unstable areas, as we've seen uh, over well, how many years ago was it? We saw the Arab Spring, and that was uh, uh, preceded, the Arab Spring was preceded by a drought in Russia and uh, an abysmal crop, and then bread prices went uh, record high. So with, as things are right now with Russia, there was uh, some hope that perhaps with Russia retreating from uh, Kiev, and now there was uh, their flagship a uh, navy vessel in the uh, in the Black Sea has yeah. been. Sunk. There was some thinking here that perhaps uh, this may be a turning point that trade might start to flow again. Uh, that would be the optimistic view, I would say. And uh, this is going to elevate the uncertainty, I think, for all commodities uh, because it doesn't appear that the Russians are packing up and going home. Rather, they're regrouping and they're going to focus on the Donbass area uh, in eastern Ukraine. And they're digging in and they've appointed a general that had uh, a fairly uh, uh, brutish history in, in handling Syria. Uh, Syria. So the Russians mean business. They're putting a guy in charge who's going to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, however ethical or unethical it may be, using chemical weapons, uh, cluster bombs, what have you, all of these are signals that this is a long haul. And if that's the case, uh, if, the, if the Russians are preparing for a long-term battle uh, in eastern Ukraine, then what that means for the global commodity trade is that 
there is no bearish situation here to be had. Uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. You don't know how far it can ex escalate or how quickly uh, or how far the Russians will go to uh, to beat the Ukrainians into submission or to use that leverage of high food food prices and high wheat prices to try to leverage other uh, countries to uh, to to side with them and to end to, to uh, try to persuade uh, NATO in the Western world uh, to end uh or to allow China to allow Russia to have um, what they want at the bargaining table. Mm -hmm. They're going to use food as a weapon. They have used it as a weapon in the past. They will use it again this time around. Uh, and so to your point, what you were saying, you were bringing up there earlier, Casey, about uh, the planting of the spring crop, spring wheat crop and other row crops like corn and sunflowers. Um, there's obviously a huge question mark on that. What resources do they have to even make that happen? Certainly, there will be some farmers who have um, stayed on the farm. They still have their machinery in working order. They still have fuel. They still have seed. Uh, they still have fertilizer. Um, how many farmers actually fit into that category who <laughs> have everything yeah, they need? Exactly. I mean, yeah. you know what it's like to plant a crop. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's not a, even a, in uh, normal situations. Uh, when you have all the weather working with you, uh, when the weather is being cooperative and Mother Nature is not throwing any curveballs at you, it's still a stressful and uh, difficult uh, process. Mm -hmm. Now you add in all these uncertainties of fuel availability, irrespective of cost. We're just talking about uh, fuel availability, fertilizer availability. Uh, the, the Russian uh, army has also uh, planted landmines in fields. Mm -hmm. okay, uh, and booby-trapped uh, farms and houses and uh, all that stuff as they left uh, Western Ukraine. So they've done everything they, they can to sabotage food production in Ukraine. If they can't bomb them out, they're going to try to starve them out. And what that's going to do is have a ripple effect in global trade for the foreseeable future. It absolutely, it's going to have a ripple effect through 2022, definitely into 2023. Now, if the Russians are digging in, let's take the longer view here. What's going to happen this fall when it comes time to planting the winter wheat crop? Well, assuming that we're still going to have these problems hanging around, we, we don't know to what degree. Um, we don't know if NATO or European, the European Union is going to be able to send fuel, for instance, uh, into Ukraine uh, to help these farmers, for instance or send machinery or what have you. We don't know what situation that uh, will look like this fall, but we're going to assume it's not going to be ideal if the Russians are digging in. So what that means then is we may have some problems uh, planting the fall crop as well in Ukraine and perhaps even in Russia. Uh, same thing there. If fuel is being diverted uh, to military use rather than farm use um, or if, uh, if the labor uh, the farm labor is being drafted uh, into the uh, the Russian army. I believe like 25% of the Russian army is conscripts. Mm -hmm. So um, they're going after the uh, general population, uh, can, uh, to drafting the general population um, into the army. Well, we're going to assume there's, that's going to be a squeeze on the Russian uh, farmer as well. Uh, okay, so... It's not just the Ukrainians getting squeezed here. It's the Russian farmer too. And that's going to be impacting perhaps uh, planting 
conditions, weather and otherwise, uh, this fall across the entire Black Sea region. So uh, you add all this up uh, with all of these uncertainties, and there's just no barest situation here uh, that we can come up with. It is how bullish is it? How much uh, of the crop will be planted? Um, and if so, with what kind of inputs? Uh, if they don't have chemical, if they don't have fertilizer, that's absolutely going to be impacting field conditions and uh, crop fertility and ultimately yield. Mm -hmm. So assuming we have reduced acreage on, across all crops, including wheat, um, and reduced yields on the fall planted crop, now we're talking about a smaller crop going into 2023's harvest which is going to tighten the balance sheet for, into 2024. Now we're talking about multiple crop cycles here of a tight balance sheet out of a key exporting area. Now, all kinds of things can happen around the planet um, outside of the Black Sea region with high fertilizer, excuse me, with high grain prices and oilseed prices and high food prices around the world. Theoretically, we're going, that's going to spur some acres uh, to be planted someplace else of all crops. Right. Um, now, you know, there's always that fertility issue, though. Uh, I know that uh, with our customers, uh, you, know, you hear these anecdotes that our farmers have the, have the fertilizer of the spring. You know, a lot of farmers booked their fertilizer last fall. So the high prices this spring that we're seeing are really going to be a problem more so for this fall. Okay. So now we're talking about fertilizer availability in the United States and around the world for the back half of uh, this year. Uh, that could be interesting. And now we're talking about the South Americans planting their crop. We're talking about uh, Asia planting their crop. You know, we're getting into all kinds of uh, other knock-on effects here around the world just because of the fertilizer situation. Yep. And as, as it's been talked about in, in the news for, uh, a lot uh, since February 24th, um, excuse me, a huge amount of our fertilizer in P and K comes out of the Black Sea region, uh, specifically Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. So um, as long as that continues to be disrupted uh, with the Russians digging in, uh, we have to assume we're going to be in a tight fertilizer situation, and that's going to be impacting all crops uh, around the world, uh, at least for uh, the year forthcoming, which can have impacts on yield going out into uh, 2023 and 2024. So we'll see what happens uh, with Russia and their new uh, uh, approach here to focusing on the east, uh, eastern part of Ukraine and uh, what transpires from that. Uh, hopefully we'll see some trade open up uh, in that part of the world uh, with some, uh, if, if, if the Russians pull back with their Navy and, um, that may be a positive for the Ukrainians and get some uh, wheat and grain and flowing uh, and fertilizer flowing too, perhaps. But uh, that would be the optimistic view. Okay. All right. So now we laid that all out there and we're looking at wheat prices now that are, I haven't seen my, my alert here yet today, but I mean, you're looking at, I've seen $12 wheat. I've seen some, some big numbers out there from an economist, from an economist perspective, at what point does this wheat get so high that, buyers are saying like we just can't afford to buy this anymore we got we can't we can't in turn go around and sell you know 15 dollars loaves of bread to make this work 
Well, there's going to be that substitution effect uh, that uh, that end users and consumers are going to be doing. Uh, if they can't eat, if they can't afford bread, they're going to go to something else. Mm-hmm. And you've got some other commodities out there like rice, uh, right. which is in greater abundance. And so that's kind of the pressure release valve uh, for food. So if wheat is going to be in this situation of being uh, tight out for the next couple of years, uh, I would imagine uh, we're going to continue to see a shift over to rice. Uh, now, you know, some cultures are not rice eating cultures, uh, but who knows <laughs> when bread prices are unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure uh, they would be willing to entertain another uh, source of calories. Uh, so that being said, we're starting to see those early signs of substitution right now. Uh, rice prices are climbing, uh, although not to the degree of what we've seen in uh, wheat, uh, obviously. So I think uh, going forward that we're going we're gonna to continue to see more and more focus uh, on alternative calories. Uh, if you can't get wheat, um, then uh, rice is going to be there as an alternative. Uh, at least for this year, uh, the you know, India has been exporting a lot of wheat and rice, uh, and that has been uh, allowing the world uh, flow of grain uh, or food grains. Uh, those are your two big ones, wheat and uh, rice together. Uh, but at some point, even India will reach a breaking point where their government says, okay, we have to stop the flow of grain here. And uh, they have huge amounts, or huge stocks of both wheat and rice. They think that's the focus here, what happens in India. Uh, and they'll get, they're going to keep moving grain until uh, their uh, politicians get a little worried, and uh, at which point they will probably impose export uh, embargoes uh, on uh, wheat and rice. At that point, things could get quite interesting uh, on, with global food prices. They're high already. Uh, if a country like India were, were to impose restrictions on exports, uh, prices are going to get pretty high pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about all this happening now. And you're going to throw, um, you know, the Fed has made it pretty clear that they're going to be pretty aggressive to fight this inflation situation that we see in front of us. Interest rates have come up. Uh, last I saw, I read an article the other day, I think it was yesterday. Uh, home lending 30-year home lending um yeah. interest rates have hit five percent for the first time since 2011 um so i guess as you take a look at the interest situation that we see out there and the inflation situation how are you how are you uh i guess monitoring that situation compared with everything else we got going on well central to the inflation story is food and energy Mm-hmm. And uh, that's those are volatile, and the Fed typically does not look at those. They they will follow it, but they what they want to look at is core inflation, which is all the other product goods and services out there minus uh, food and energy. And uh, with inflation um, now at eight and a half percent, there is talk of the Fed uh, raising. Um, Interest rates the next meeting by 50 basis points instead of 25, and then perhaps following up again uh, in the following meeting uh, with a 50 basis point increase. And uh, that's all in an effect, all in an effort here to tame to tame inflation across the board. But the problem here, though, with food inflation is some of so much of that and energy inflation too. So much of that is outside of the Federal Reserve's uh, jurisdiction. We'll say. How much influence can they have on food prices uh, when uh, you have these uh, 
trade logistics issues, uh, especially out of the Black Sea region. Uh, but at the same time, we can't forget that we still have a drought in this country. Right. Uh, and it's a terrible drought across half of the over half of the entire uh, country. The entire western half of the uh, U.S. is yeah. still in drought, and the Federal Reserve has no influence with interest rate policy on changing the drought. Uh, you know, that, I wish they could. <laughs> yeah, I bet you they. I bet you they wish they could. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I wish they could too. Uh, mm. But uh, that's just outside of their realm of influence. Right. And right now, the indications uh, are that La Nina. This is a La Nina year, which is dry in the western half of the U.S. Typically, uh, is that it's going to persist through this summer. That's bad news. <laughs> it's yeah. really bad news, especially for the wheat crop in uh, Kansas. The Dakota, all the way up into the Dakotas, looking yep. west, uh, even up into into Canada, and so now you already have a tight uh, wheat situation globally. You have an even tighter situation now because of the drought. Um, but that's it's not just wheat; it's everything else as well. Uh, USDA was uh, forecasting in their prospective planning report, planning report that corn acres are going to be way down, hay acres are are going to be way down. Bad news for livestock producers and dairy farmers. Uh, it's going to be an even tighter year ahead uh, for feed. And so this just continues to ripple out, uh, affecting all the commodities. And then out in California, uh, same thing there. You have uh, zero water allocations from the state. And that means more and more water um, being diverted away from the row crops like rice uh, or uh, spe other specialty crops and uh, to keep those almond trees alive. And uh, so you're going to have higher produce prices. Uh, you know, th this just keeps going on and on and on. In addition to uh, all the other uh, issues we're seeing with food inflation caused by what's going on with uh, um, short crops around the world, like uh, South America. And now you add in the Black Sea. Uh, and it's just now transportation costs to get food to the consumer. Um, as we, as we all know, uh, agriculture is a very transportation heavy industry to get, uh, food from the field, uh, to a consumer's, uh, dinner plate. That's a lot of miles, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in between. And so as fuel prices, um, remain elevated and with the trucker shortage, we're just still dealing with, uh, it's, it's hard to see a situation there where, uh, food prices would be going down even with rising interest rate policy. Right. Uh, so again, um, maybe those, maybe it, the the Fed can can influence other things like housing prices or the stock market uh, or the prices of dishwashers and, and microwaves and things like that. But given all of these other factors that are outside of the Fed's uh, realm of influence, it's hard to see a situation where. We're going to see material decline in food prices. Right. Okay. So now, <clears throat> spend a little time talking about your specialty here, um, specialty crops, what that looks like, fresh fruits and vegetables, those kind of things. You start looking at, you know, uh, like the nut farms and stuff like that out in California. You start looking at produce, um, you know, high value crops, those kind of things uh, that are very, very much grown in the southwest part of the United States yeah. and and the western, you know, seaboard and those kind of things, but. For the most part, you start talking about drought, you start talking about higher cost of food, and you start looking at how, how does that affect the fresh produce market when you start looking at the higher price of food uh, as, those, as those prices of food start going up? 
Well, as you can imagine, the prices are up across the board. Some uh, some crops are record high, like processing tomatoes is record high. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have like uh, the rice that's grown out in California, the medium grain sticky rice. Um, that is at multi-year highs, highest of 13 years, and it's, it's going to go higher. Uh, now that acreage is expected to drop even more to record low, uh, as farmers uh, send that water down, down the river, down someplace else to another user. And so, uh, you know, across the board, it's going to be uh, reduced acreage, uh, reduced yields, and uh, it's going to be higher prices. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean growers are going to be uh, not making money, many of them will, by selling water or collecting indemnity payments for uh, crop insurance. Uh, so it's not necessarily an entirely dire situation for growers, for, for a lot of growers. They'll still have an income, uh, except... Uh, you know, this carries on into following years as well uh, with the ongoing drought. What happens to these fallowed acres? Do they stay fallowed? Um, there's cost wrapped up in those fields uh, the longer you fallow, fallow them. And uh, I grew up in western Kansas where uh, you fallow every other year in a wheat fallow rotation. Like you're accumulating cost every year you're not, uh, you're not farming or not growing a cop growing a crop. So there is a uh, cost embedded uh, in those fallowed fields. It's not like you just walk away and forget about them. So there is that situation. Um, but I'd say the main concern here is uh, um, what's going to happen to your main crops uh, like uh, tree nuts. You know, we have um, a lot of uh, trees still coming into production that are non-bearing acres. Well, what's going to happen here where in, in a, where, when we're in another short water year, uh, do we keep watering some of these older trees or will we start pulling them? Especially, this is another complicating odd story in this uh, price uh, inflation environment. The price of almonds is, has not gone up a lot. In fact, that, that's been a real head scratcher because we had a freeze, a couple of freezes back in February during uh, the bloom. And almond prices really didn't budge. And some are wondering, well, this is really odd to see this happen when you've got this, uh, this weather event that has perhaps knocked 10% of the crop off on yield. And what's happening uh, is that we've got uh, stocks building up in the United States because of the logistics issues. It's finally catching up to us here. Yeah. We can't export these uh, tree nuts um, or we can, it's just getting very delayed and shipments are being canceled. And so uh, that has, uh, that's creating a buildup of supply in the United States and that's depressing prices. So that is uh, on the periphery here outside of the realm of uh, weather and uh, what have you. Uh, that's holding down uh, tree nut prices. But at the end of the day, still though, you, you have to deliver that product to the consumer and the cost of doing that's going up, uh, tr- you know, trucking and warehousing and fuel, as you know, uh, th- those, uh, those remain tight. And so those, those, those costs are elevated. And so that, that doesn't necessarily mean, means that the consumer is seeing lower prices, um, in this inflationary environments. Uh, in fact, uh, shipments are down, uh, in the U S for tree nuts, uh, because of logistics and uh, those costs are elevated and consumers may be pushing back on those costs. Uh, we don't see any uh, price, you know, price, prices being lowered uh, at the consumer level. Yeah. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So last thought here is we, 
going to wrapping this up. As you take a look at the remainder of this year going into 23, like when when do you see um I, I guess I guess the question I want to ask you here is looking at the equipment marketplace, sooner or later factors are going to be a full full bore um, production again. Everyone's going to be getting their stuff. There won't be a bunch of delays getting one little part that's kind of thrown off the whole the whole chain here. But when that does happen, then you're going to see uh, uh, the premium uh, for available equipment being being removed and we'll have just more of a quote-unquote sure. normal marketplace. What, when do you think that would be something that you're going to pay attention to for uh, for the commodity side of the, play, of the market? We're talking about machinery here? No, no, we're talking about commodities. Like, when do you think that that commodity uh, premium is going to be kind of relieved, I guess, and go back to more, quote, quote unquote, normal pricing? I'd say costs are going to catch up first. Okay. And uh, when there's when there's profit, uh, cost is, uh, or inputs are bid up, whether that is uh, fertilizer, uh, crop protectant, uh, land rent, or land prices, those costs are going to uh, chase the profit and erode that down. In a perfect, in a perfectly competitive environment, erode those profits to zero. Okay, so you'll be in a situation uh, where you have an elevated cost environment and then a market correction at some point on price. And when that happens, I, I don't know. <laughs> timing is always the the issue there right. uh, it's one thing to posit a theory here then when somebody says okay that's all great when does it happen well next tuesday uh, at one o'clock right. <laughs> you get? If, you, if you ask specific let me know and just keep it between us so we'll, we'll uh, that's exactly else. right yeah. uh, <clears> throat> was, throat> you know, as the adage goes i had on my own island with my own yacht right but uh we can come up with some theories here that costs are going to be elevated uh, on the production side, uh, going through the remainder of this year, you can see that in land values. You can see that in cash rents. Uh, I'd say the uh, on your end there, Casey, with the machinery, there might be some positive. Um, once some of the new machines, uh, new equipment start entering the market, that's going to depress um, uh, used machinery probably in the next eighteen to twenty-four months. Yep, uh, I, I heard. Um, John Deere's got about 15 months of backlog. They've got the orders, uh, but 15 months yet to go to fill it. Uh, that was their statement. So just go with that, 15 months. Uh, that's going to put you uh, through next year to the back half of next year. Right. And, okay, we'll just call it there. We'll just say 2024, perhaps, based on that one market indicator where you might see machinery costs start to come down perhaps. Uh, and if that if those costs come down, there might be some other costs that's, that are coming down. And we we don't know where the Ukraine-Russia situation will be and what impact that will be on fertilizer prices or how much um, production we can ramp up here in the United States and right. in, in Canada. I would assume that over the, over the next eight to 24 months, we're going to have a lot of these costs uh, down because we've we've sent we, we've moved more product through the supply chain. Um, we've brought more capacity online. Um, I, I've heard anecdotally from uh, from other customers of ours that their uh, efforts to automate have been delayed uh, because of equip lack of equipment, and the timeline they give is eighteen yeah. to twenty four months. Yep. So we'll just call it 
24 months being on the conservative side, we'll start to see prices uh, drop on key infrastructure. Uh, and then we're start we're going to start to see productivity increase. We're going to start to see product move through the system, um, and conceivably, therefore, with supply catching up the prices, then prices would soften. So I'm just in the big theory here, in the big grand scheme of things, of all things, commodity and agriculture, we'll call it 18 to 24 months. Yeah. And that's what I, on the machinery side of it, that's kind of my thought is the tail end of 23 going into 24, um, maybe first quarter of 24, seeing some f- relief. But again, it all comes back to like by now, I thought we'd have more um, supply chain issues kind of figured out. But yeah, I'll tell you, some days it feels like it's worse than it was a year ago. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a never ending cycle. It just feels like when you feel like things are kind of coming together, then all of a sudden something crazy happens. There's some positive news. Uh, you know, the ship lineup outside of Los Angeles is is shorter. Yeah, uh, sent twenty some ships now, I believe, is what I heard. Yeah, now from the peak early in January, I think it's like over a hundred. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, we have more people entering the job market again. Um, that's a positive, but you know, it's I think it's more of a slow thaw rather than you know the right. problem being uh, fixed in one fell swoop. It happens over time. Right. So I think we just have to be patient. And, you know, wait for these, wait for more people to come back to the job market, wait for more people to find out, you know, that they do want to be a truck driver right. <laughs> yeah. uh, or that they miss. Be- I don't know. I mean, those kind of jobs are so hard to fill because it's such a hard job to do. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's just going to take a longer time. Immigration is down. Uh, and so you know, legal immigration is down and so which means it's going to be you know we have those some of those I mean, some immigrants at the border but trying to place those people legally into some of these jobs isn't going to do anything so again there um, the manpower just isn't there it's not going to be fixed uh in the short term so it's going to be got to keep the long view absolutely hey well good stuff as usual Tanner. i really enjoy when you come on and have these conversations so if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing at CoBank, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can reach any one of us uh, on our staff at Knowledge Exchange at CoBank at uh, our website at CoBank.com. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to LinkedIn. I have a page there that's set up for the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as a YouTube channel called Moving Iron Podcast. So uh, check those out. Uh, go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related, blog posts, um, the entire library of the Moving Iron podcast, as well as information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, 6, 7, and 8 downtown there at uh, the Hilton. So Tanner and some of his cohorts are going to be there and uh, like talking about this kind of stuff and kind of doing a roundtable type deal. So looking forward to that. So Tanner, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Good to see you. You too, man. For uh, Tanner Emke, I'm Casey Seymour. Let's go be smart, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com.
Bowie and I in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Find us here Moving higher